0: Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest
1: developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. This is the second part of a two-part conversation with John Velisarios on the topic of central bank digital currencies
0: it's really interesting that i've seen like a lot of kind of concerns around privacy like you've mentioned there and it seems like the bank of england like you said really understood that and that was like one of the paramount fundamental pillars of their proposal for the digital pen was that you know privacy is super important to all of all the people in the country. So that's going to be one of the things that we designed based around. And they, I think, they use the term around we won't collect, uh, be able to monitor any individual data, but we'll uh, monitor aggregate data that, that we need, and that, that's quite an important thing. Another concern that I've seen, and maybe this is a more Western thing, is around control, right? Like it's privacy and control two fundamental pillars of web three technologies. And there's a lot of people who are up in arms about the idea of a CBDC in which, you know, the government can just all of a sudden say, you've got 10 grand in the bank. Well, that's CBDC. We're no longer going to give you access to that 10 grand. What do you think to that? What do you say to that?
2: I think, uh, this is a big challenge for, you know, for, uh, any central bank, any government, you know, in, in, in its ability to impose these kind of restrictions. I mean, whether it's a CBDC or whether it's freezing your bank account. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the effect is the same, right? And uh, I never thought I'd say, you know, I look at sort of what happened, uh, uh, you know, uh, not that long ago with, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the freezing of accounts for people in Canada for the protests that were taking place in from the parliament. Right. And I think that mm-hmm. I, I, I never thought I would actually see that happen in my life. I think, uh, you know, in terms of people that are objecting something the government is doing and then all of a sudden, you know, they um, they have their funds frozen, their accounts frozen and, and and an inability to transact and to basically live a you know, normal day to day life, pay for daycare, pay for groceries, pay for whatever and get paid, you know, and all sorts of stuff. So whether it's money in the bank or money in a CBDC, I think it's, you know, if that happens, we need a better government, I think at the end of the day, we don't need governments <laughs> that do that kind of stuff to its people. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's, a, it's a very, uh, it, it is a it is a big concern. Uh, but if that is uh, the, you know, the the fact that if that does happen, then we end up in a situation where, you know, people lose faith, people lose trust, just like just like that event that took place, you know, and it has a long lasting effect on societies and so on. So not to get too philosophical on the topic, I think at the end it becomes, you know, uh, I think something that will have to play itself out, I think with regards to uh, how society deals with governments that, uh, you know, impose too much controls on their financial, uh, financial situations and things like that. Um, ability to convert it. I mean, I think at the end, you know, I, I think, you uh, many, many CBDC projects, um, look at it, look at sort of CBDC as a complement to cash, not as a replacement for cash. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you always have the ability, in theory, I guess, depending on where it gets rolled out, you always have the ability to convert that into cash if you needed to, uh, or into something else. But at the end, you know, it's a very, it's a concern that, you know, we should all have, and we should always think about how Mm -hmm. government the role the government plays in, in our day-to-day lives. Um, but that's, a, again, a broader topic, not a necessarily one for just this <laughs> podcast.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to address, right? Because you're seeing this word programmable, I think programmable CBDC, that's already become something that people yeah. are starting to protest about on the streets. And I think if there's one thing I've learned and you've echoed many times so far on, on today's show, is that it's all, you know, the word CBDC in itself is not the problem. It's how you design it. You can design one in a bad way that might program in lots of these kind of draconian measures, or you could design them in a more transparent mm-hmm. way or a more private way that doesn't, you know, ha- ha- the, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of spectra and lots of different properties you can have. Right.
2: Right. And I think you, you mentioned something, which I think is important to point out. You know, we talk about programmability and CBDC and I think the, I think anything that is programmable uh, isn't necessarily a CBDC. I think what you need to do is program uh, something around it, but the actual money itself should not have, uh, should not be uh, programmable at the end, because if you could sit there and you can, you know, put limits on it or put some, impose some restrictions on it, it's no longer money. It's a coupon. It's something that is, that will convert to money at some point in time. So these things, again, again, not to get too philosophical about these topics, but fundamentally, CBDC uh, is, uh, it should always be in its purest form something that is unencumbered, that doesn't have any restrictions, it doesn't have any controls. What you do with it is create a smart contract, you put some stuff around it, you, you, you put like a, an agreement, a legal agreement and so on, uh, but it should, it should not be encumbered. Once you encumber it, you do something with it that restricts its usage then all of a sudden it isn't CBDC, it's a coupon, it's a voucher, it's something else, mm-hmm. but not that. And I think uh, there's, right. uh, there's a lot of, again, a lot of discussions around that point as well.
1: That's a really reassuring point, I think, and will be peace of mind for lots of people. But I, I really like that, actually, the distinction there saying that's actually maybe not CBDC, that's like a coupon system. I like that because that's the main thing people are worried about. And, and I, agree, I agree with you completely yeah. that at the kind of base level, it should be like, it should be like money, it should be neutral. So... Another, another Correct. kind of thing you could say So central like bank liability. Things. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think when mm-hmm. people talk about, oh, um, this restrictive form, this coupon system that you referred to, people say that's not very web three, right? So the next thing I wanted to touch on is where does CBDC sit in the, the whole kind of landscape of web three in general, right? Is it a web three, is does it sit within web three? is it kind of overlapping is it outside of that because obviously some of the technology overlaps and we've talked about public blockchain mm-hmm. but where where does it sit for you
2: yeah i mean i think um uh, again you know you look at sort of you know web3 and you look at sort of centralized versus decentralized sort of you know who issues it how do you use it and so on i think you know i guess if i look at web3 Web3 is about sort of a, a new way of, of interacting with one another where I can transact with you directly. I can exchange value. I can exchange assets. I can exchange things with you without needing to sort of deal with any other centralized party. The interesting thing, and I was thinking about this actually when I was you know, in, you know, in thinking about this as a session, um, the central bank digital currency is, there's a CBDC is a central bank digital currency issued by a central bank. So it's a centralized authority by definition, right? At the end of the day, that mm-hmm. issues it. But once it puts it out of the circulation, it's just like a, you know, banknote bank that has no control or shouldn't have control of how I spend it and how I use it. It's my money at the end of the day. So at that point it can go from person to person and payments can be made. Um, and in a, in a, in a sort of distributed way in a decentralized way in a way that isn't necessarily uh, requires some central authority to approve the transaction that is being made and that again comes back to the design of the cbdc solutions it comes back to how it gets implemented and rolled out but the idea is that once i have my money and it's in digital format i can give it to you uh, jack and give it to out and so on um and I don't need to go through my bank in order to do that. I can do it directly, peer to peer. I can even do it offline. I can even do it, you know, without sort of, um, you know, any type of limitation or control, which is exactly the way I could do it with a bank note, but I can now do it in a digital manner with you directly, you know, at the other end of the, of the right. line. Basically. Would it be fair
1: to say that it's the issuance that's centralized, but then the transfer afterwards is kind of decentralized distributed.
2: Correct. Yeah, distributed. I mean, the decentralized nature of it is the fact that you know you now distribute it into the marketplace. You know, people are using to transact with one another, exactly like they do with you know money at the end. But it but it also enables those exchanges to be done in a digital manner. And I think it plays to the strengths of Web three. Even though you, it's counterintuitive in thinking, "Hey, it's a." centralized central bank digital currencies <laughs> you know uh, but in reality it's used in a very distributed way across a wider marketplace and i think and that market doesn't have to be a physical one it could be a virtual one or a digital one and i think uh it it creates more opportunities to use it in these that type, type of digital sort of uh digital exchanges a digital exchange of value exchange of assets exchange of uh, of uh, of services or whatever for money and uh I think the important thing is that uh, it's who is the backer of that, the, the currency that has been issued is, you know, as opposed to a cryptocurrency or some stable coin, or, you know, this is something that has uh, the backing of an entire country of a nation. Uh, you know, there's a unit of account, there's a store of value. It has, uh, you know, that is something that is well understood in a, in a market and a geography and even internationally as well, as opposed to something that may not have that as well. that was about to be
0: my next follow-up comment is you've talked about having these different currencies kind of all working in in parallel, they're not just going to, CBDCs aren't going to replace, cryptocurrencies They aren't going to replace, stable coins. you imagine there's a a market for all of them. And I I agree with that. I think, you know, we need resilience, and resilience means options, right? If everyone's using one CBDC, what happens if that goes down? I really agree with that principle. And you kind of said that one of the main differences there is issuance and who's backing something. I mean, most of our listeners, you know, the Web3 kind of listeners know about crypto, right? That's what brings most people to the space. In your mind, John, what are the main differences between crypto and CBDC? Is it just the issuance and just the backing, or is there more than that?
2: I think um, I mean the fundamental one is the backing. Like who is the issuer? Who is the who do you go to uh, basically to uh, you know to claim this value and the and the issuer behind it, right? So. And I think um, that's a very important point because also from an accounting point of view, I want to know that you know I'm being paid a certain amount of money for my salary or my payments and things like that, and it's denominated in a certain currency and so on. And there's no fluctuation associated with it. I've, you can argue a lot of things around that, but but fundamentally, it's the issuer that 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 is behind it. The technology as well, right? Obviously, is going to be is going to be different. It's not the same same type of technology at the end of the day, but it's not the same one. Mm. Uh, There's an element of resilience behind it. You know, if you have outages, you know, and and the availability, the integrity of it and so on, Um, acceptance of the currency. You know, I think at the end, if it's a central banks are going through a tremendous amount of effort to make sure that the legal, the legislation, the laws, the regulations and everything that go around sort of the issuance of CBDCs makes them legally valid to be used in all types of transactions right at the end of the day. So everyone should be able to accept them, you know, from a merchant Mm -hmm. to a cab driver to whatever, right, a government or whatever. So, so the acceptance of the of the currency itself. uh, Mm -hmm. So even though it's digital in nature, it, it should be accepted widely in the marketplace. Um, as a form of payment right at the end of the day mm-hmm. so that's not the case with the crypto because you know people you know speculate a lot with crypto they don't necessarily use it for transactions all the time mm-hmm. um, you know, some people do some people don't some people accept it some won't you know so you end up with this there's a you know, myriad of different um you know usage scenarios for crypto right and I think uh, mm-hmm. not to say that it that that there is isn't a, a role and a place for it and I think there's uh, to your point, Alec, I think you you, you mentioned, and I, I firmly believe that there's a role for all the stuff at the end of the day, from mm. sort of stable coins to so so to the CBDCs and so on. It's almost like a tapestry of different <laughs> formats of money, right? At the end of the day, mm. um, and they serve different purposes. They serve different different you know they do different things, and they serve different purposes. They're backed by different sort of uh, backers mm. behind it. Um, and, uh, I think it's up to us to figure out what's the most appropriate for the things that we're trying to use it for.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I understood that early on with CBDC versus crypto, and then someone said to me, okay, why would I choose, um, a stable coin over a CBDC? There are similar kind of principles, you know, centrally backed. Someone's mm-hmm. actually kind of it holds responsibility it should, there, but yeah. surely I trust a central bank over a private company. So what's the,
2: the argument mm-hmm.
0: there then between the two?
2: It's a very, yeah, a very good point. I think, uh, I mean, especially when you end up with commercial banks that are issuing these things, um, I think uh, the interesting dimension is that a commercial bank may uh, you know, issue a stablecoin that has a very broad geographic reach. So take a very big bank, for instance, that has you know presence in every single country or many countries around the world. You now have the ability to move that money across this institution if you're a commercial entity if you're a big corporate or whatever you can move money from one jurisdiction to the next one to the next one instantaneously and make treasury mm. payments and make all sorts of payroll payments and pay your suppliers and do all that kind of stuff and you're dealing with a commercial bank liability not a central bank liability right mm. some commercial banks are very big uh, you know very so- very solid in terms of the credit rating and all that kind of stuff so they almost almost, but not quite are as you know, strong as a central bank digital currency mm-hmm. uh, because they're not a country, they're not a sovereign, but they have a geographic dimension to them that is much that is more uh, international or more uh, geographically dispersed than one single central bank in one particular country or jurisdiction. So I think that dimension of it, it actually opens up a lot of opportunities, and, and I think big players, big commercial banks, are looking at issuing or have been issuing their own, and have been transacting, you know, allowing their customers to use their uh, basically their tokenized balance sheet. They take their balance sheet and they say, "We're going to issue on based on our balance sheet a bunch of tokens, and you can use these." uh denominated in dollars and euro denominated mm-hmm. in a currency but you can use them to do all sorts of payments across our entire sort of network of of entities and i think that again it creates almost again that that tapestry right so it's it's a, it's it's a commercial bank liability uh tokenized commercial bank liability that is used across geographic boundaries to serve commercial needs uh very different than crypto again very different than a CBDC. different type of usage mm-hmm. scenario for that
0: So I saw that there was lots of fear and lots of, say, private banks that were kind of resisting CBDCs, right? Because what's the term they use? Disintermediation, which I think is such a difficult word to say, but that's the term that's used. And I saw that there was a lot of resistance to the digital pound specifically. And the the Bank of England recognized this, right? They were like, okay, well, we're going to ensure that the digital pound isn't interest-bearing. So you put it in the bank, you don't get any money from that. So that's one way to kind of limit the fear from private banks that everyone's going to move into this digital pound. I see you shaking your head. The other one was they're going to put caps on it so you can only... hold so much and did those two things address in your mind enough that private banks can feel safe that not everyone's going to jump into digital pound as soon as it becomes available
2: I think um, I, I think it, it's sort of uh, it's an interesting scenario right? it's an interesting sort of uh, uh, concern that commercial banks have and I think the, the reason for it is of course that, that sort of the services that they're providing um, you know for especially for just basically transaction banking um, comes out of, you know, mm-hmm. there's a cost associated with it, consumers bearing that cost as well as the banks as well, uh, that, that are providing these services, but they're not, they're, the, but it doesn't, it, it, the CBDC, when issued, doesn't do a lot of things that, that a commercial bank will do. It doesn't provide lending. Mm-hmm. It doesn't provide the relationship manager. insurance doesn't provide mm-hmm. any of the things that a commercial bank, uh, when, when, uh, sort of offering services to clients, uh, does mortgages, credit, you know, credit cards, uh, loans, yeah. uh, insurance, uh, the portfolio of services, investments, and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So to think that everyone will sort of take all their money out of their bank and hold it in their CBDC wallet is a bit of a stretch. I think. I think at the end of the mm-hmm. day, and 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 if you, even if you did it. How long would you do it for would you would you take it out knowing that you can take it out and then what you can do put it back the next day or something like that so usually that (laughs) you know this it's 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 sort of um it's a concern of course but people that the banks do have uh, mm. but they have it more in times of financial distress than they do in a normal day-to-day operation of, of things. Mm. Because again, okay. when you have a banking relationship, it's more of a relationship. You're doing things with your money. It's not just, it's not just, you know, using it in the form of just to make payments and you know, hold a digital wallet. Mm. So, uh, I think it's the, it's the financial distress part of it. When a bank is in financial distress and then everybody panics, right? Well, what causes the panic? The panic is caused by the fact that you cannot take enough money out of an ATM machine or out of a teller Mm -hmm. to cover the deposits, right? Because of course there isn't enough money. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's fractional reserve banking. So of course, you're going to have a problem uh, when that happens. Uh, And limiting sort of it on a CBDC is just going to further create the panic. The way Mm -hmm. to solve that problem is actually to is to is to have backstop measures with a central bank the Bank of England or other other banks central banks that basically can digitally issue that money immediately to consumers in the times of financial distress. Mm-hmm. So if I have let's say 20,000 you know pounds in my account and all of a sudden I hear that that sort of this bank is under distress I, I can't I can't get enough money out of an ATM machine right because uh, everyone mm-hmm. will be doing the same. Uh, but if there was enough money in the ATM machine, the digital ATM machine, right, I could get it all out. And what would I do with it the next mm-hmm. day? I'd probably go back and put
1: it back into the account.
2: <laughs> so it's like as long as oh, I yeah. can get it out, right? Mm-hmm. I think it, and, and feel that level of comfort. So mm-hmm. um, a the physical limitation of banknote of the banknote distribution causes the panic in many cases. The ability mm-hmm. for uh, central banks to step in and digitally support the commercial bank is a is a way to actually f- uh, address that, and as a, acts as a backstop measure for for a run on banks and things like that. So I'm not sure the limit the limit on the wallet actually will do anything uh, apart from yeah. maybe even cause more distress.
1: I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned kind of the failure cases and the worst case that can happen, kind of when you have a run on the banks type scenario and the impact on yeah. consumers and the need to protect consumers because obviously that's also what r- the role of regulation is, right? And it's not something we like to shy away yeah. from on the right. show. We're very much pro regulation and i i have no idea what regulation means in the context of CBDC. so can you just give us a, a comment on that right so I, i'm kind of wondering do we have the existing regulatory tools to to handle a map to a cbdc world or do we need completely new frameworks to handle them what, what, what's the kind of situation with that <laughs>
2: It's a broad uh, again very jurisdiction specific. Uh, I think the uh, understanding of of uh, whether the existing central bank uh, charter or uh, acts in many cases covers the the distribution of money in digital format or not uh, is a can be as simple as a you know one statement in a, in, in a legislation or a very complex uh, series of changes actually to the to the legislation. So it, it really depends you know, jurisdiction by jurisdiction and it has it requires proper legal analysis and stuff like that in order to be able to make these kind of changes as well um however uh, I, I think that none of that is you know insurmountable at the end it's just you know different um it's, it's how you look at uh, the 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 charter of the central banks and how they've been able to, how they're able to actually issue a digital currency and the kind of regulation that needs to go around that and i think um, uh, I mean, we have a lot of stuff through, you know, electronic money, you know, electronic money regulation and other types of, you know, regulations that are already exist today. Um, this is an extension of many of that, uh, I mean, not to simplify it, but, you know, there are a lot of things that are, we already know how to deal with a lot of these different things. The, the, the challenge here is that central banks have never really had to look at digital money for the. Con, you know, for, for the wider market usage. They've always looked at it from a banknote printing, very physical, very, very legacy, very traditional way of dealing with money and money printing. And that has things around velocity of money movement, how, you know, banknotes are put into circulation, how they're distributed, how they're recovered, and things like that. And, and then we all of a sudden say, okay, well, that, that's great for very traditional paper-based means. you're now going into a digital format. You know, how do you deal with velocity of money moving there? How do you deal with anti money, Mm. anti money laundering regulation there? How do you deal with KYC stuff? Does it still apply? Do you enable visitors to transact in central bank money? Right? Well, if you, if you're a, uh, if you're a tourist that steps off a plane, and you try to go withdraw money from the bank machine, and there's no bank notes anymore, because no one's using that well, what are they going to do? And how do they going make payments? Right. And how do they, mm-hmm. so how do, what do you deal with, how do you deal with that kind of a scenario and uh, who's allowed to, who should, who should have access to this money? Is it, is it citizens? Is it residents? Is it foreigners? Is it visitors? Is it, you know, and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So those are the kind of things that you need to think about a lot from a you know, central bank point of view. And I think that that creates an interesting sort of a set of, uh, of uh, you know, constraints, parameters as well to, to the regulation and the legislation that needs to be featured into that. I think at the end also that if you can you can create a number of very uh, uh, advanced tools that you introduce into the market, and all of a sudden you find that, that those could, those could be things that compete with incumbents that are there. Um, it comes back to the question of what is a bank at the end, right? So <laughs> if I'm a payment service provider, I mean, take a look at you know all the different. You know, a fintechs and the neo banks that have popped up. At the end of the day, they're challenging many of the com- ma- major sort of commercial banks. Now, imagine enabling them with CBDC or even new ones, new entrants mm-hmm. into the market with CBDC type capabilities. The concept of what is a bank changes actually. If and is a you know, and 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 you you know, you now have new tools that you can use to sort of enable these kind of new entrants into the market.
0: I love that it's um it's taken us an hour and we've come full circle and the question we've got to is what is a bank. <laughs> it just shows how complicated this topic is sometimes, right? Um yeah, so you, yeah. regulation very in the weeds, very uh, kind of detail focused. Now to flip from that and go big picture. You've obviously been in the space for a long time. I think the stat that gets pulled out is 85% of central banks are considering CBDCs and have various projects at various mm-hmm. stages. What does it look like to you? What is the future kind of end goal of CBDCs? And particularly, how do you think it's going to relate and intersect with other emerging technologies, like to use all the buzzwords, AI, blockchain, metaverse, all this kind of stuff? How does the future utopia of CBDCs look like in John's world?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the success or failure, I mean, I think of all these implementations is how pervasive they become uh, and how invisible they become right at the end of the day. I've been in sort Mm. of the technology field for many years. And I think we talked a lot about, you know, certain types of technologies many years ago. uh, And it's and and then all of a sudden, we stopped talking about it, because it was absolutely everywhere. Right. And I Mm. think, um, I think this is going to be one of those things. I think we will at some point, you know, I don't know when it's going to be, but it'll be a point where Th- this topic will no longer be uh, on the main on podcasts and things like that. It'll be, <laughs> um, it'll be a mainstream topic. No one will know, you know, no one will care that much about it anymore because it'll be everywhere right, at the end. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have other types of things to talk about. Right. Um, and I think um, it, it's almost like a race. Um, I think there's a few things I think on this topic that I find is intriguing. One is the, the geopolitical nature of it and what is money and what does it mean Mm -hmm. right for governments for economies for for um for for many countries around the world for every country around the world but for some it means even more because they become Mm -hmm. the, the rest of the world is reliant on them um so so i think that for um uh I think the success of this uh, of this topic uh, is really how invisible it becomes in a, in mm-hmm. five years time or whatever, or in five ten years time, whenever whenever that gets you know becomes much more mainstream and, and deployed. I, I think um, it's a, almost like a, the genie's out of the bottle. We've now we're now sort of seeing these implementations and these rollouts, and there's a lot a lot um, a lot of investment that's going into it because it's solving a certain set of problems that we can now solve that we've never been able to solve before. And I think it's actually very interesting uh, for, for the wider mm-hmm. market, governments, central banks, economies, and so on. Um, taking it back, I think, to sort of, you know, Web3, AI, you know, all these different sort of, uh, um, the sort of new paradigms of, of interacting and, and dealing um, and, and, ex- and exchanging ideas, values, services, products, uh, entertainment, and all these different things. This could be the the money that goes into this as well, right? So at the end of the day, rather than dealing with tokens of whatever nature you're dealing with, the money directly, and I and I and I know that it's sort of, um, you know, this is just another. This is a medium of exchange of value at the end, and you now have these digital platforms where you can interact with one another, and ideally, you need to also have a means of of exchanging this value in order to. You know acquire good services and all these other uh, and various sort of uh, uh you know products and services and and, and, and exchanges that you have with uh, various people on these platforms so i think they will uh cbdc's will play a role in that in the future no doubt like other cryptocurrencies like other stable coins like other type of tokens or whatever it is that yeah. you're that you're exchanging in these in these environments um with regards to ai uh i, I I'm not sure yet, actually, about the AI and how CBDCs and AI sort of come together. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that it's uh, there is obviously a convergence there at some point. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that with metaverse, with sort of virtual environments, um, you know, these things are been designed in a way to sort of um, converge with, into one another, and they will. Uh, how that will play out, what it will look like, I think is still unknown. I think it's a it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a little bit out but a bit out there but you know there's you can imagine all sorts of different things that you can do with this uh when you start uh exploring the art of the possible Mm
1: -hmm. well i I definitely resonated with me talking about the kind of the end state being how invisible it all is right that being a success metric and we all have our central bank digital plumbing as we often call it uh on, on this show i think that that will be the metric of of success john it's it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show i've I've learned so much just i've been pretty much just listening to you the whole time we have two very quick closing questions that we like to ask each guest and see how answers compare over time Uh, and i think you've already answered the first one really nicely and succinctly earlier but i'm going to ask you to do it again so you have a chance to revise if you want to i don't think you need to
2: but i want to ask you
1: first so in one sentence what is web3 to you
2: um, it's, it's really sort of an environment where you can exchange value directly between people. Um, that's what it means to me. I think when I think about this, uh, it, it, it isn't sort of a centralized platform. It's, a, it's basically something that allows us to engage and interact with one another uh, without the need of any other intermediary in the middle of it all. And I think that's a new, something that's possible now. Uh, enabled by CBDCs, but also, you know, wider sort of, uh, the wider sort of environment that web three enables as well. Sorry. That's a bit longer than a sentence, but I think
1: that. <laughs> no, no, no. I hundred percent agree. It's, it, it, we never get one sentence. I'll just, I'll just tell you that for now. Um, <laughs> <Okay. awesome. laughs> and and so the final question I have for you then just to close things off is, so if you could pick one person that can be with us today or from any time throughout history, to sit down and discuss web3 with who would that be and why uh,
2: i thought about this actually as well and and uh, i think that you know given where we are uh, given all the innovations and the developments that we've been talking about uh, especially around the digital currency side of things and so on i think our uh uh someone like uh, Satoshi would be a wonderful you know, person that we would be able to talk to if we knew who he was, right? You know, or she or whoever, whoever that person is that I think, um, I think that would uh, be very intriguing to understand whether that was ever part of the plan uh, and long term vision in terms of the plan of introducing Bitcoin into the wider market. Um, and uh, that person had a vision. Uh, And again, it was a a genie out of letting a genie out of a bottle at the end of the day. And I think it would be very interesting to understand, you know, um, what vision they had of the wider impact that they would have, not only on the money side, not only on that, but in in terms of the wider ecosystem that this would develop around that. Um, It would be intriguing to have that conversation with them, um, whoever that person is. And that's a good one. I think that might be the fourth time we've heard that answer. I did expect
0: every single yeah. guest to say, it's just pushy, but yeah, it's the, it's the fourth one. So the most popular answer so far and definitely a good one. I mean, yeah, thank you for I joining us, imagine. John. This has been a really great episode. And thank you to those listening, wherever you may be. And join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri.
1: Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3.
0: The views we express
2: here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.